Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Return to the Realm, a rereaders podcast for the Realm of the Elderling series by Robin Hobb. I'm Caillou, here with Alex and Leah, and today we're going to be going through chapters 26 through 29 of Ship of Magic. Um, so we've been talking about stuff uh, starting to happen for the past few episodes, and this is where um, some shit really goes down. Um, Bingtown is considering seceding from Jamila. Um, Althea uh, ends up, quote-unquote, failing in her goal of obtaining a ship's tag, and her and Brashen have a falling out. Meanwhile, Wintro uh, is stuck in slave hell, waiting for his father to buy him back. So, lots of dramatic happenings in this section. Um, And before we get started, because... I, this, I need to get ahead of Alex this time. Um, <laughs> I have something this, else. This is a Spoilers All podcast, which includes not only the Live Ship Trader series, but also all 16 books in the Realm of the Elderlings cycle. So if you haven't read all of those and don't want to be spoiled, uh, click off now and then come back once you've done so. I think we're doing chapters 24 through 28. We are. No, my bad. 26 through 9. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's how we would have been if we were, if we didn't have such a long episode, a couple episodes back. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I just like had that in my mind, and I don't think anyone will be confused because it's in the title. Hopefully, maybe. (laughs) Okay. So, chapter twenty-four: the Rainwild Traders. Um. This episode or this uh, chapter is from Malta's perspective. Um, we see her, Ronica, and Kefria uh, go to the meeting uh, hall of Bingtown, where all the traitor families have been uh, convened by Johnny Yanni Cooperus. Johnny Cooperus. I'm just gonna call her Johnny Cooperus. Um, uh, one of the Rainwild traders, who essentially says, "Look, things have gone too far with the new traders." Um, we need to take a stand. We tell the Sathrap to remember his promise to Bingtown, or we secede. Um, and getting this this whole event through Malta's perspective is very interesting, and I think we're going to have a lot to talk about that. And at the tail end of this chapter, we meet uh, uh, Johnny's son, Rain, who has a little uh, romantic meeting with Malta. I do not see what Rain sees in Malta. <laughs> like, she must be really hot, because basically all she does is be like, let me look at your jewels. And he's like, oh my god, I'm in love with her. Yeah. I was expecting there to be... I was like, maybe I just misremembered. Maybe there's like a little bit more. Maybe he thought she was cute and... Like... He, I don't think he has very much experience with, like, women either, because he, like, spends his time in the, like, collapsed elderling buildings and stuff. So he probably doesn't have the best social skills anyways, so just the fact that Malta's coming up and talking to him, it probably is something special for him, especially because she's a Bingtown trader daughter. She's not just some, like, rain wild girl who he's seen all the time and, like, doesn't think is that cute. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's literally just that she comes up and talks to him. He's like, 
Whoa. Yeah. She's not, like, horrified of me, even though she secretly is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, one thing that struck out to me is, like, I feel like, even though Malta, at this point in the series, is still really annoying, um, she has, like, like, reasonable perspectives on some of the stuff that's happening. Like, Devad says... It's almost enough to make a man wish for slavery here in Big Town. A slave knows that his master's goodwill is his only hope of comfort and well-being, and it makes him pay attention to his orders. And it's like, that is disgusting, and the fact that no one pushes back on it is crazy. And Malta's like, yeah, it's kind of spineless how Ronica is like so anti-slavery at home, but won't actually take a stand for her beliefs. And it shows how like complicit the Vestrits are in everything that's happening. Yeah, Ronica's a little bitch. Like she, I really don't like her in this like I, section. I remember really rooting for her on my first read, being like, Ronica's the only reasonable one. Like once she realizes that Kyle's be shit. But on this read, I'm like, no, she's a bad parent. She's a bad grandparent. She talks a big game behind closed doors, but then like won't say anything otherwise. She's so anti-new trader, but then she won't say anything during the trader council meetings. Or, like, pick... She doesn't pick a side. Yeah, I don't like her. Uh, yeah, I feel the same way. She was a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's... Like, she's so mean to Malta. In this chapter specifically, like... I felt really bad for Malta in this chapter. Like, she's not even... Mm-hmm. Especially at the beginning, she's not even, like, being naughty. She's just being a kid. But it shows, like, she's basically neglected. Because she really has to act out to get any sort of attention either way, good or bad. Yeah. Um, Because everyone's super dismissive of her. Like, she'll say something and they just ignore her. Or, like, there's a part that made me really sad where she said, it says, Sometimes Malta felt her name was a sort of club. Anytime and either of them said it, they expressed anger or disgust or impatience with the world. No, that was freaking sad. That's really sad. Yeah, I have noticed that Malta's not that, like, at least as far as we've gotten, she's not that annoying. Like, I don't, I don't hate her, and it's not like I can't stand her like I could the first time. I don't, understand why i hated her so much but i think like she gets worse when althea comes back like i think that we're at the beginning of it like i remember her being super like getting she stuff from althea althea. and hating her then but like mm-hmm. she's really not awful right now and everyone is being horrible to her so it kind of makes sense why she's like playing the victim a little bit sometimes I think on this read, I see more of, like, why she is the way she is, so then I don't hate her as much. Yeah, I think you're right. I feel like I was, like, getting there, and then this chapter, I was like, man, no, Malta's still in, like, her annoying phase. I I think, like, I was reading y'all's notes, and I'm like, I, I should be giving her some slack, but instead it feels like, instead of, like, being annoyed at Kefrica, Kefria and Ronica and giving her slack as a result, I'm just annoyed at everyone. I'm just like, all of you suck. And I, and I think that 
on one hand, it's kind of hypocritical of me because I'm like with all I'm willing to forgive Winter and Altheo when they're annoying because they're young and Malta's also young. But I think the for me, what makes it frustrating is it feels like compared to Althea and Wintro, Malta has like no self-reflection or self-awareness. And so it's just like not right. It makes now. it more frustrating because it's like even though I know she ends up growing, it's like it feels like she's not going to, and I'm just like, ah. Um, <clears throat> I had sympathy for her a lot in this chapter. I actually felt really bad for her in this chapter. But in the chapter where she steals the dream box, it's harder to have sympathy because that's, like, the first time they really explain to her, like, why she can't have it. They're like, if you open this, it will be that you're courting him. But she's, like, so greedy that she won't even listen to them. Whereas a lot of the times when she's reacting that way, it's because she doesn't understand where they're coming from and they don't bother to explain it to her. They're just like, no. And the way she, like, manipulates them, where it's like, Mm -hmm. I feel like she would have been totally reasonable and actually crying in that scene. Mm -hmm. Like, if she actually, like, if she actually was, like, processing what they were saying and, like, it makes sense that she would be, like, hurt by it, because they haven't been treating her the best. But instead, it's she's just, she understands that that's how she should feel, and then uses that to manipulate them. And it's like, that's so, that's so fucked up. It's almost sociopathic. It's like how, you know, sociopaths will, like, go to therapy so that they can understand the way that other people process emotions, and then they can mimic it. That's, mm-hmm. like, something Malta would do. I was kind of rooting for Malta when she stole the box. Because I'm like, they're being so freaking rude and snooty. And, like, she should just take it. And I know that she shouldn't. And obviously it makes sense why she shouldn't. But honestly, like, there's no good way for them to reject it. There would be no way where they reject it and, like, something good comes about it. Or, like, it's well-received rejection. Like... I think that the Cooper's family is too high up that it would definitely still be a very big slight on them. And it would be, it would look bad on the best rights. And I also know where it goes. So I'm like, definitely not mad. And I'm like, come on to do it. I was more mad the first time because I thought she was making like a critical error that was going to lead to something very bad. But now I know that it doesn't, so it's, like, not as big of a deal. Yeah, also, like, knowing Rain makes it a lot, because Rain mm-hmm. is, like, Rain acts like a goddamn vampire in these two chapters. He's, like, <laughs> he, does. he, he yeah. does not act like himself. It's so weird. Yeah. Because, like, we know he's just, he's the lovable, awkward, like, weirdo boy who, like, goes and hangs out in caves and shit. But yeah. he's, like, oh, Malta, ho oh. I'm look at me. I'm the experienced worldly rainwild person. And it's like, no, you're not. Shut the fuck up. You're right. <laughs> you may act like you're cool, but we know better. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel like Malta is like the most childlike in this chapter than that we've seen in a while both in terms of like 
being very understandable, but also being very annoying at the same time. Like, when she's, like, blurting out, like, your flame jewels look expensive. Or, like, or they're really beautiful, they're expensive. It's just, like, yeah, okay, we've all seen a kid, like, say something, like, without, in, without like, that much tact at some point or another. Like, totally. Mm -hmm. um, and also the way she's, like, fidgeting around, it really reminds me of... Um, my parents would take me to a bunch of these Indian classical concerts because um, every winter they'd have like a big Indian classical concert thing, and I hated them. I never wanted to be there, and I, but they couldn't like leave me at home alone because I was too young, so I had to be like dragged along all the time. And they'd like bribe me, and they'd be like, "I'll I'll buy you this book, and you can read it during the concert if you let me, if you like come with us and like don't put up a fuss." So I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't bring the freaking ledger books or whatever for Malta to calculate because it's clear that she, like, they're not paying attention to her or explaining what's going on. They're not engaging her in what's happening. So, of course, she's not going to care about it. Mm -hmm. And then it's useless for them to bring her in the first place then if they're not going to teach her. And then they get annoyed with her because she's there. Like, Ronica says, Delotrell is not here, she pointed out acidly. Her parents had the good sense to leave her at home, which is where I wish you were also. Like, that's just a dick move. You that's, should have left her home then if you wish that she was there. You're the one who dragged her ass there. She did not want to go. For sure. And, like, they have Nana and Raish at home. It's not like she would be, like, home alone or whatever. Yeah, they wanted her to go to learn and, like, get the traitor insight, but then they're annoyed when she's there and they're not helping her learn any of the stuff either. Like, they're... Ronica is still not a good grandma. As much, like, it's one thing to admit that you did poorly raising your kids and your grandkids, but it's another thing to admit that you did poorly and then strive to do better. Like, she says, oh, I have to do better, but then she doesn't do anything. She's, like, locked into the same patterns of behavior. Yeah. It feel it genuinely feels like Ronica was never a kid. It's like... Yeah, she was just an old lady. She also, like, when we get her section, she's never thinks back to, like, any time in her life pre-being married. So it kind of feels like she just started, like, once she had kids. And there was no... turned on when she was yeah. married. Right. She talks... She, like, says one thing about, like, growing up at the house that, like, they sent some of their servants to live in or something like that. But I think that's literally the only thing that we really get from pre-marriage days. Like, yeah. how were you as a teen, Ronica? I feel like, come on now. I know, she should definitely have a little bit more, like, empathy. Mm -hmm. Ronica definitely would have been the kid who's like, Teacher, you didn't assign us any homework. Mm, the one that everyone hated. Mm. That's also Kefria for sure. Right now, still, I think. Hefria sucks so bad. Yeah. 
And I don't remember her getting, like, very much better. Like, yes, she gets a little bit better, but, like, I feel like she still kind of sucks all the way through. Mm -hmm. Everyone just doesn't get as much of a arc as Veronica does. Her, like, it, she, her, her arc is honestly kind of rushed. It's just sort of, like, realize Kyle sucks. Realize I haven't been doing much around here. Okay, done. And, like, mm -hmm. that all happens, like, so quickly in the first book. Um. Yeah, this is also, I think, the first mention of Jitsun, which is the magic elderling metal thing that, like, glows in certain conditions. And also, like, produces a humming sound if you smack it, and, like, a bunch of places in Kelsinger are made out of it. Is there, like, a real-world analog to Jitsun, or is it just, like, the magic metal TM? I think it's just magic metal. Is that the stuff that, like, when you walk into the room, it will, like, light up the room if you touch it? Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think on the character. I don't think anything else. I picture it like the metal's heating up again. So, like, wherever it gets touched, it, like, turns red or, like, a nice heated metal color. Mm -hmm. um, I picture it like, you know, when you're on an airplane and it's, like, an overnight flight or a nighttime flight and they turn all the lights on, they illuminate the aisles. So, the like, there's those rows of lights like showing the eye where the aisle is. That's how I picture it, and I'm like, I'm sure it's much more fancy <laughs> than like airplane lights. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, sure. it could just be airplane lights. Just but like maybe like a more like soft sodium color. That's that's how I'd picture it. Because to them, that would be like fantastical. It's like you can you can make light happen in what pattern? Yeah. I think, like, one big part of this chapter is just, like, Johnny bringing up the fact that we're going to secede, like, we should probably secede from Jamila. And I love the section after that where, like, it's just quotes from random traitor people all expressing their own perspectives on it. It's, like, it's a really quick but effective way to show, like, there are so many facets of this that people like, that would matter to people or that people care about that, that are, like, immediately thought of by all of these people. It, it like, it, fe it feels so much more real because it's not just, like, this very binary thing. It's, like, it's a complicated decision and people are treating it as such. Mm -hmm. I wish that Malta stayed around a little bit longer because I would have loved to hear kind of the solutions that they came up with or, like, at least what they, I don't know, brainstormed at near the end of the meeting. But she had to leave and be a little bit flirty, so we didn't get the rest of it. If I was a kid, I would have left, too. I would have been like, I don't understand what they're talking about or care, and I'm bored. Yeah. And whenever she does try to understand something, like, Veronica yeah, kept her like, shut up. If she 
yeah, my last note for this chapter was uh, there's a small scene at the end between uh, all the serpents, and I think it's Malkin and Shriver have a little conversation in which uh, Malkin reveals for the first time a link between serpents and dragons, but it's in like serpent language where he's talking about the lack and the plenty or whatever. But if you can decipher that, this is the first time a reader would ha would have an explicit like confirmation of that connection. Yeah, I already I, remember that. I wonder <laughs> if Julia will pick up on some of that. But she doesn't really know that real dragons are a thing in this world. There's only the stone dragons. So maybe yeah. the first-time readers don't realize that dragons can be a thing. I know. It's such a wild thing to say for a fantasy series. Like, I know, I know right? <laughs> when I jumped to Tawny Man after Farseer because I didn't know that these... Like, I knew they existed, but I didn't think it was part of the same series. Um, <clears throat> so I, like, missed that Tintaglia was a thing, and then she, like, just comes out in Tawny Man, and I was like, what the fuck? There's, like, actual dragons now? Like, mm -hmm. real-life ones? I thought there were just stone dragons in this series. Yeah, it's weird. Mm-hmm. And it makes, like, the whole thing with Selden coming and talking to Fitz, like, so much, like, crazier. Because Selden's like, yeah, the Queen of Dragons wants to talk to you, and Fitz is like, sounds swell. <laughs> Anyways. Mm-hmm. I completely, like, glazed over that whole part on my first read because I just didn't understand it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, like, for a first-time reader of this series, I, I feel like there's, like, it's just so hard to, like, come up with, like, the serpent-dragon-lifeship connection. Even though there's, like, so many clues. It's just, like, so out there. Yeah. I, would, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Julia figured out that Amber was, like, the fool, or at least guess that Amber was a white, mm -hmm. like or like related to the fool. I feel like Especially that's the, the way that Althea sees her. Mm -hmm. right. But yeah, jump like making the connection between the ships and dragons is like such a leap. Yeah, that you wouldn't ever logically put together. Like, there's no. I didn't figure it out ahead of time. I don't know how I could have. Like, on a reread, it's obvious. But. I think the only way is, like, if you're really smart about it, and you, like, connect the idea of going into the dragon, or into your stone dragon with going into the live ship, then you could maybe make a connection there, where it's like, oh yeah, live ships are like the stone dragons. And then when you learn more about like the dragon life cycle, you're like, hold on, what if? But yeah. But yeah, that's all I had to say for this chapter. What about y'all? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much all my notes were about Malta and feeling bad for her. Same. <laughs> I feel like it's the opposite. So like, were very Team Malta, even though she's annoying and stuff, and Caillou's not, and then 
with Starling, we are so like, I hate her. And then you're the only one to like. You have to make the like, Starling defense squad. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's weird because like, I know Malta's gonna be good. So it's not like I like hate her, hate her. Well, it's just like, in the moment where I'm reading this, I'm like, I just, I can't divorce it from the words I'm reading on the page. <laughs> like, yeah. That's understandable. Yeah, but I think I am, like, recognizing that Kefria and Ronica are, like, so much, or at least Ronica, are so much worse than I realized the first time I was reading. Same. I liked Ronica my first read, so I did not expect to hate her so much on my reread. Like I know, I think I was. I think it's just like everyone else around her explicitly sucks, and so it's harder to pick yeah. up on her implicit suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. I think I was so focused on hating Malta on my first read that I couldn't hate anyone else besides like the obvious hate- hateable people. Yeah, like fucking Torg. And Kyle. And Kyle and Kenneth. And Kenneth. Kenneth, I didn't hate in this book because I didn't understand him yet. Same. Really? Okay. I really liked Kenneth. He was one of my favorite characters until everything happened with him and Althea. Okay. Yeah. Like, I like him as a character, but as like a a person, he like really frustrated me. Yeah. Yeah. But he made he made, he definitely makes for interesting chapters to read. Unlike Malta, where it, it, the first time I was reading, it felt like a slog. Yeah, I really I almost rage quit reading this book because of Malta on my first read. Really? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I cannot. But I think it's because my sister was like also an awful teenager. My sister was like fifteen at the time, and she was horrendous so it was just like i can only handle so much i'm trying to escape my reality by reading this book and i can't have another awful team in my life yeah anyways uh speaking about awful parallels with reality uh let's go to chapter 25 candletown in which there are absolutely no connections to be drawn to the real world um (laughs) perfect in this chapter, Althea and Brashen are both uh, deciding on what their next steps are now that the Reaper is done with its hunting season. Althea goes to get her ship's tag, but the captain realizes her true identity and... Because she uh, tells it to him. Yeah, she tells it. Yeah. She, she essentially tells it to him. Um, and in a fit of sexism, he decides not to give her uh, her ship's tag at all. Um Which- Mm-hmm. Sexism. And, yeah. And Brashen is feeling great and, and is thinking that he's going to have a, a great time and he and Althea are going to continue sailing, but ends up finding out what happened to Althea as well. And they both commiserate in their despair. Kind of. Before. She, like, rejects him and walks away. And because Brashen was kind of dumb. She is kind of mean to him, though. Because he, like... He obviously likes her. And she knows that he likes her. And instead of just being like, No, I'm not going to meet you. I don't want to. She's like, 
Maybe. And, and, then, uh, and then is, like, annoyed at him for having hurt feelings that she didn't meet him. Like, I felt a little bit bad for him. Not as bad as I felt for her having to go through all that shit, but... Yeah. I also feel like her doing that to Brashen is just because she doesn't want to admit that she has feelings for him, too. Or is feeling like something other than just like neutral towards him right and so she's like if i don't acknowledge that he's feeling something for me then i don't have to acknowledge my feelings to myself either and we can just go on pretending like we're just shipmates i agree i don't have to be vulnerable ever again that mm -hmm. worked out in a healthy fashion i don't know why she feels that way like is it just because she doesn't think that it's safe to feel feelings like this, or...? I think probably every experience that she's had with, like, relationships is just, like, having sex with somebody and then never talking to them again. Or, like, being... Like, she feels abandoned by that one... The guy Devin. that... What, what's his name? Devin. Devin. Yeah, yeah. Like, he just like sleeps with her and then immediately leaves so i wonder if she thinks like if i let myself feel these feelings then like i'll i won't have any type of relationship with him anymore and she's been like burned by caring about people like she cared about kefria mm -hmm. and then Kefria betrayed her she cared about devon devon betrayed her um she thought she could trust her family and then in her eyes, they all betrayed her, other than Efren. Um, well, I think that even... He, she does feel betrayed by him, even. And I'm sure she harbors, like, irrational betrayal, like, feelings of betrayal from him dying. Because she's like, you were my dad, you weren't supposed to die this early. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess that does make sense. There was a line that made me feel really bad for her where, um, <clears throat> I don't remember what point this is at. It's obviously like after she gets kicked off the Reaper, but it says, um, I want to go home. She thought miserably somewhere I am safe and warm and people know me, but no home was none of those things. Not anymore. It's like that hits really close to home. Cause anytime you're in like an uncomfortable situation or you feel alone or you feel miserable and abandoned all you want is to like be home and safe with your family and she like literally can't even like home is in the past she can't get back to that anymore yeah yeah i feel like this episode is the section all of the sections that i've been dreading reading combined because i was dreading reading althea getting turned away from the reaper and i was dreading reading um wintro becoming a slave and like all of those happened in this section and i was just like oh yay it's a one after the other I do feel bad for Althea, but I am kind of proud of her because she does learn and grow a little bit. And she even admits that 
she knows she's not ready to captain Vivacia, but she needs to get her ship back. <coughs> so I'm proud of her for that. Yeah, and I think this this chapter is interesting because we see her grow in that way, but also she's like she's still like fiercely jealous slash possessive of Vivacia, where she's like, Yeah. What do you mean you care about Vivacia, Brashen? You aren't family. The yeah, that's a bit much. She like refuses to acknowledge that Brashen lost everything the same as she did. Mm-hmm. Like if not more. Right. He literally like lost where he lived, his job like anyone that was in support of him or on his side in the world like Althea their arcs are like family. remarkably similar yeah, yeah. except like, down to the way that the, like when things go bad they're like they get into like this self-destructive like who cares about tomorrow mode yeah them That's both true. spending all their money all the time makes me really anxious it's like worse it's stressing it's me out even worse than fits and fits is reckless with his money nice like yeah they are very bad with it there was a section later on in this in like the last chapter or the chapter before where brashen talks about like not having any money left but he still has a little bit of sendin and he's like oh i'm almost done with my sendin i'm like the fact that he cares more about rationing his sendin out so that he can make it last as long as he can and doesn't give a shit about his money like uh, alarm bells, Brashen, what are you doing with your life? The fuck? Yeah. It's crazy, because, like, in this chapter, he's like, I got paid out, I can live like a king, and then smash cut to the next chapter, he's like, I've been broke for three days, I haven't had a place to sleep. Yes! <laughs> it's and like, he was talking about only? saving his money, and, like, he doesn't do any of that. He never does it. I did notice something about Brashen in this chapter. The first time when he's on Paragon and he's giving Althea advice, he says, you should go north to the six duchies. They let women be on ships there, blah, blah, blah. And he says it again in this chapter, but this time he says, we could go north. Like, he would I go love that. And I was like, I oh my gosh, it. he's in love. For sure he is. He's, For sure. He's, He's I, willing, I mean, he doesn't really have anything to lose, but, like, he's willing to completely leave his homeland for her. Yeah, and ever and any chance of, like, ever working on a live ship again and everything like that, like... He's willing to go where they don't even put glass on their windows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just for Althea. He's willing to live with the barbarians. Mm -hmm. Just for his girl. And, yeah, and I feel like they understand each other, like, so well, but there's, but, like, the mis the places where there are miscommunications hurt so much more because of that. Where it's, mm -hmm. like, Brashen immediately gets where, it, when he's, like, he, like, he puts in a good word with her for the captain, and she's, like, you don't think I can get on my own merits? And he's, like, no, 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 wait, hold on. I said that wrong. I just wanted, I'm... I genuinely think you did a good job. And then she's like, oh, thank you. And she's like, oh, well, I mean it this time. But, like, it's awkward because I just said it sarcastically. And yeah. there's the other part where Althea, she, like, realizes she hurt him. And she's like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. But I get that I did it now, even though I didn't realize it before. 
Mm-hmm. And like like there's like those are the two that like I remember, but there's a bunch of other moments, especially with like Ratchet realizing that like he fucked up and oh yeah, they're just they they get each other's like mannerisms and moods so well. Yeah, and that's got to be partially like just them living close together on like Vivacia for so long. Mm, for sure. Oh, yeah, one of my notes in this chapter is something that like I didn't think about that much the first time I read this, and but it's kind of impressive slash interesting how much detail goes into the logbooks, where at least for the for the logbook of the Reaper, where it's like this is supposed to be not a high quality ship with a captain who's got shabby quarters, but despite that, and they have like a large crew. But despite that, the captain's logbook has, like, kept a close enough eye on Althea that even though she's an unremarkable ship's boy, they have, like, different parts of her performance throughout the trip. Especially after times that would have been chaotic and people probably wouldn't have remembered, like the serpent attack. So it's like, even though the captain is a complete dick, I think the reflection is less on, like, that specific ship and more on, like, the culture yeah the yeah. culture that mm-hmm. goes into it especially and i think it's really interesting to contrast that to stuff like Wintrow's like they're just sailors and it's like yeah sure but like they they would have sunk by now if there wasn't a system mm-hmm. yeah that was my last note for this chapter I wonder, that just made me think of, this isn't, like, related to this section, but um, there's a part where Paragon mentions that he can't remember stuff since they took his logbook. Do you think that they really need the logbook to remember things? Or if he's just using that as an excuse? Because why would a live ship need the logbook? I think it's genuine and I think it's sort of like I don't even remember why but like I, th- I I remember it being genuine like if it's in them they can absorb the knowledge from it somehow yeah I think it's just like weird magic metaphor thing but like it could also be like kind of their long-term memory is the log books and then like it, or it helps them keep like a hold of themselves as a live ship and then otherwise like without their li- without their logbooks it's easier for like the dragon part of them to take over or something like that mm-hmm. I will accept that I could be misremembering and it could just be paragon lying I feel like I remembered like I feel like they like I feel like you do too I think if I like... meet Robin Hobb I will ask this uh this entire podcast is just a scheme to like think of questions to ask robin hobb at conventions yes we all need to track her down (laughs) this is is a distributed way to get people to ask our questions to robin hobb yes what sucks is that 
I had the opportunity to possibly ask her a question, but it was before I knew who she was. <laughs> before so. you loved her works. Yeah. So if basically 2014 version of me sucks. Mm-hmm. That's all right. That was your Malta time. Yeah. <laughs> We've all had a Malta phase. Oh, for sure. And anyone who says they haven't is lying or is still in their in their Malta phase. Or they're, still, still, they're still in it. They're still in it. For sure. They have no self-awareness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My last note is just, I feel so bad for Althea for being ashamed of enjoying having sex and, like, having sex with Brashen. Like, Kefria definitely messed her up in the long run by, like, shaming her the first time. And, like, Althea even says, it was embarrassing that she enjoyed what they had done and all the more because he knew she had enjoyed it. Like, I just feel so bad for her. That must really suck. Not even being able to, like, enjoy it. I'm sure she was, like, kind of thinking in the back of her head, like, being ashamed of it, even in the moment. But she just, like, kept going. Or, like, she wasn't thinking about it only because she was, like, uninhibited by Sindon plus drunk. Plus yeah. Wound. Yes. <laughs> Brain it damage, basically. Like how deep the damage of that purity culture can do to people. Especially with your family enforcing it, too. Like, I think if Kefria had accepted her and been like, oh my gosh, like, are you okay? Instead of calling her a slut and stuff then she would think about sex so much differently because your older siblings are your role models, sometimes more than your parents even, especially in situations like that. And then the way that Kefria reacts was just, like, horrible. Like, obviously, Althea felt safer going to Kefria than she did going to her parents, when in reality, Kefria may have been the worst one to go to. Yeah. And I'm sure that, like, part of the reason she's also, like, thinking of, thinking about that again is because the captain was like, you whore, how many people did you just, like, probably brought back, like, reminiscent of what Kefria did? Yeah. Well, she's like, sure. she wished that she could say none, but she had slept with Brashen, and then she probably feels like, oh, is that why I got to stay on the ship? Like, not overtly but maybe it's like a subconscious thing you know yeah because she definitely has those insecurities about like her skill versus the nepotism that brashen provides where it's like in reality brashen isn't doing that much he's just making sure like she doesn't die so she can actually find her potential which like right yeah Which, like, oh yeah, that reminds me, I appreciate Brashen being, like, proud of Althea at the start of this chapter so much, where he's like, yeah, she looked like the perfect ship's boy. Ever since she did, like, the skinning, she'd really come into herself. She'd done it. Like, I hadn't, like, Brashen's like, I didn't think she would be able to do it. She she did it. So proud of her. Yeah. And now we can keep sailing together and things are going to go great. It's going to be an awesome time. And we're going to get married and live happily ever after. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm.
But yeah, we good to move to the next chapter? Yeah. Yep. Okay, so next up we have chapter 26, Gifts. So this chapter is divided into two sections. The first is a scene between uh, Paragon and Amber. Uh, one of the titular gifts is Amber uh, makes this big beaded necklace for Paragon. Um, and they have uh, an interesting conversation, but one that is uncomfortable for the both of them. Uh, and then the next section is Ronica, Kefria, and Malta, where we see the consequences of what happened um, in the previous chapter, where Rain sends Malta a dream box to formally begin courting her. Uh, and even though uh, Ronica and Kefria don't want her to accept it, Malta decides to and officially begins courting Rain, I guess, TM. I totally forgot that Amber makes Paragon a necklace, and I was so happy to read it because I just think it's really cute. Me too, I love it. Especially Except, how much he loves it. I know, I think it's so freaking cute. I think it's also so, so sad that, like, nobody's ever given him anything. Mm-hmm. And, like, I feel like that's probably true for most of the live ships. Like... Nobody considers them as fully being their own, like, being. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, they're alive, kind of, but because they sort of need people to, like, sail and everything, they're not independent and they're not, like, technically their own being, like, in other people's eyes. And so, like, I bet no one else has really gotten, no other live ship has really gotten gifts either, and it's kind of sad. I remember some of the other live ships like because we know vivacia like instinctually eats Wintrow's finger sorry for bringing that up again but <laughs> i know that like i think that like when we we, we hear about ophelia having some stuff as well it, and like I, I feel like i remember live ships just like eating Eat yeah not you usually not usually not human flesh but i think they like they can they eat and store like gifts that like people give it's them. just funny the idea of like yeah they just eat anything you give them <laughs> yeah, they're like babies yeah. immediately mm-hmm. in their mouth mm-hmm. there are like so many little hints and clues to the fact that paragon has like multiple identities in this chapter because like a we see it we see his emotions and like his thought process go from like amber's so nice she gave me a gift i love her to amber has ulterior motives and what does she want from me and i can't trust anyone everyone everyone's out to get me everyone hates me like it's so up and down and then at the end he's like a baby almost like did i break it did i hurt it you know can i have it back please um and even amber points it out like She says, sometimes you speak and I hear the wisdom of generations in your words. Other times, without warning, you're a spoiled 10-year-old. And then it cuts to, like, a memory where it's like, you're 12 years old. You're almost a man. And it's, like, obviously, in hindsight, somebody yelling at Kenneth. Mm -hmm. But it's like, 
when I first read it, I just thought he was crazy. But now when I read it, it's obvious that he has these, like, different personalities, basically. He's got way too much, like, warring inside of himself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, the rapid mood swings is, like, such a hint that it's, like, that he's connected to Kenneth. But it's also, like, such a subtle one, because I feel like how would you put that together? Even though, like, it, it's written the same way, but it's just not something you'd expect. <coughs> but yeah, I feel like... Like, because you said earlier that you didn't, like, remember the scene, and I think I'm finding that to be true for, like, lots of the Paragon scenes, where, like, I think that... Some of the other, like, characters have, like, linear arcs, so it's easier to remember, like, oh, this is this point on this, this is this point on that r road. But for Paragon, the scenes are just sort of, like, interesting character interactions or, like, moments, and so I don't remember them as much. At least until, like, next book. Yeah, same. I love the friendship between Amber and Paragon, and I feel like Amber can probably relate to Paragon a lot, and much more than I realized on my first read even, knowing that Amber was the fool, just because, like, Paragon is such an outsider, and the fool at Buckkeep, aside from, like, shrewd and Fitz really doesn't have people who are really in their corner and friends with them and actually talk to them. Like, everyone is kind of scared of them and thinks they're weird and, like, thinks they're, like, a freak of nature and everything like that. And I feel like that's kind of how people are towards Paragon in this, like, series trilogy. There's almost no one better for Paragon to develop a relationship with because there's no one that would be able to understand having those, like, dual identities the way that Amber could. Because Amber can be so many different people, and, like, their true self is, like, kind of masked under all of these facades that they use to protect themselves. And Paragon doesn't really have the control to, like, use his identities to protect himself or to even like recognize them but he has all these different versions like fighting inside himself mm -hmm. and like he, he even if he like can't effectively do it like lots of his like thought processes are around like i need to protect myself i can't let oh, myself get hurt again which right. like definitely the the fool like can relate with that even at this point in the series, before their two biggest torturings. <laughs> yeah, those are the sections I'm dreading reading about most in the other trilogies. For me, it's Night Eyes and... Um, yeah, when... Like, Fitz has to leave the fool in the... Ice tunnel. Mm -hmm. The 
pale. I, the pale woman. I kept wanting to say the ice queen, but that's not what she is. <laughs> <laughs> that's from like Narnia, I think. Or ice witch or something. Yeah, I think for me, I, I feel like I feel like I'm not hit as hard by the night eyes thing, even though I care about it. But like the like Fitz finding the fool's body just destroys me every time. I sobbed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I love how we're, we're we're talking about sad things in other trilogies to avoid talking about sad stuff in this trilogy. You know, well, it's because so much bad shit happens in this section. Mm -hmm. I guess before we get to the bad stuff, we do have this mostly good section of Malta getting the dream box, even though there's some bad stuff in it, but it's... we know where it ends up, so it's fine. I remember, like, even on this read, because I kind of forgot how the dream box works, but I was like, why is Rain putting her in a sack and, like, kidnapping <laughs> Like, what the fuck? And then he's like, oh, that's what your, like, subconscious idea of courting is. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm shifting my what the fuck from rain to Malta. Yeah. And yeah, that doesn't feel like a Malta thing at all, especially given, like, how so proactive she is and being like, I want, I want all of them. I, I, I want to, like, go out and live, live my best bachelor life. Kind of thing. I but she's also, like, I guess, like a hopeless romantic. And so I, yeah, I feel like she thinks of it as like a hunt, and like she's on the hunt right now, and it's kind of like a wild dance or like fight for dominance, and she secretly wants to be dominated, but she like. Needs it's not to... a way we should be talking about a 14-year-old. <laughs> no, but that's exactly how I think that, she, like, but her I... subconscious is, I think. No, no, yeah, I, I get what you mean. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, I still don't, speaking of, like, how the dream box works, like, so... How does it work? I, I don't feel like there's another piece of Elderling technology that functions like this. Like, when it first came up, I thought it was, like, Similar to, like, the memory dust or the stuff that happens with, like, like, Taimara and Rapskull, where it's, like, living out the me a memory through someone else's identity. But it's, like, it's, it's not, like, as, like, it's malleable. Like, they control what happens in it. So, like, I don't even know how that works. I think, like, the way I picture of it is, like, it's skill in a box. It's, like, a skill dream in a box. Because, like... The way that Nettle would go into Fitz's dreams or Thick's dreams, and they can, like, communicate that way, I feel like the box somehow, whatever magic's in it, is, like, just a way to connect the two people via skill, and then they can communicate with each other. I don't, but I don't understand how it's, like, whoever, is it just whoever opens the box, or is it set to... That particular person, like if someone else opened the box, would Malta still get the dream? Or because Monica's like talks about like it being attuned to a person, and when like yeah, and, like I think Kefra is like, how does that work? And then Veronica's like, rain wild magic. Yeah, because I think my first read, I thought like whoever opened it would get the dream, 
but this time I'm thinking more it's like specifically for Malta. Yeah, I think that it is because he had to have some like personal item given to him from her in order to make the box in the first place. What was the item? Was it just her name? No, it was the cup. It was the glass of wine. Oh, right. Because she's like, oh, do you want this? I don't want it anymore. And he's like, yeah, of course I'll take it. And then he takes it back with him and makes, like, the box. I forgot about that. I remember her thinking about when they said, like, oh, they need an item, so it means Malta gave him something. I was like, what did she give him? She stole his scarf. (laughs) But what did she give him? (laughs) Because all I could think of is him asking her for her name. Right. I think that um, him putting her in a bag and stealing her also shows the level of immaturity in Malta. Because most adults would not think of anything that way. Or think of it as being romantic and stuff. Right. Right, that's like a nightmare. But she's Naturally. like, ooh, someone thieved me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's such like a fairy tale, but like old well mm-hmm. like old ass fairy tale style thing. It's like yeah. when the teenagers or like the pre I don't think it's preteens, but definitely like <coughs> high school age girls were <laughs> like in love with Joe. From you, and they were like, "No, they were not." And being like, "Oh my god, I wish someone would stop like this." Yes, to the point where the actor had to tweet, "Like he is not a good person. Yeah, he is a serial killer." (laughs) But that's exactly how a teenage. I mean, that's proof that that's how teenage girls are. Like sometimes they think that very, very unhealthy things are actually fine and like romantic. And so it makes sense why Malta would kind of think the same thing. Yeah, that's a really good comparison. That made me think of, like, the whole ass adults who are, like, big Chris Brown fans. And are just like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways. <laughs> escapism and no re- relation to reality whatsoever. <laughs> One question that I have is, like... Why? Like, it really bothers me that this whole book, the Vestrits, are complaining about their finances. Meanwhile, they've got, like, 17 nannies for Selden and Malta, when Kefri doesn't even have a fucking job. Kefri does nothing, but she can't take care of her own kids. They have to pay servants to do it. But you're so poor. what she did before. Like, it's not like she even has friends come over and visit or anything oh. like that. Like, no, she just sat in her bedroom and pined for her husband to come back. I guess. Like, it's annoying to hear, to read these people complain about their finances, but then, like, continue to pay servants. Like, do shit yourself if you can't afford anything. And the thing is, like, they don't have to pay, like, they shouldn't, Nana shouldn't have to work anymore. She should be able to retire, and they should just have her stay in the house and, like, live with them as family and not have to pay her because she won't have to take care of the kids. She can just do what she wants, 
Kefri can take care of the kids for free, and then all they have to pay for is rage. Right. Kefri is so useless. She can't even take care of her own kids. Yeah. Whenever the Vesters talk about finances, it makes me think about, like, that one drill tweet. Like, the one where it's like, please help me, I need to cut something for my expenses, my family is dying, and it's like, electric, 25. Like, the uh, food, $30. Uh, video games, $1,000. And it's just like... Yeah. I saw they, one they, of those, but it was like candles were the extra. Like, yeah. It was like 10 grand candles. God, me. <laughs> I still have so many candles up here. Or like when, um, when there was that whole... When the media was like constantly trying to vilify millennials, and they made they did those avocado toast, like avocado toast. Oh yeah, it was, it was like yeah. if I, if only I could skip my avocado toast, I'd be able to afford a home. <laughs> yeah, like it's the opposite for th these people are the boomers who are like, yeah, they've, they've had enough to afford so many creature comforts, and then they're like, well. Well, what am I supposed to do without them? I... Hey. I just spilled my water all over myself. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed you do that a little bit each time you drink. I'm like, oh, I dear. know, it's so bad. I need a straw. I cannot, like, I'm so bad at drinking out of cups. I feel like a little bit, I feel like a little baby every time I drink out of this bottle, but also, like, the, I think it's it's just the safest option. It goes, that time it went out both sides, too. It's like... <laughs> yeah, that's rough. <sighs> <laughs> okay one thing i did like about kefria this chapter you, while we're like shitting on her um kefria like asked ronica like what will you do and then she like changes it to what do you think we should do and like it's a small thing but i like the growth of like being like okay i have to work with the family and take responsibility and i can't just be relying on mommy dearest for everything yeah i like that too it's hard for me to like anything about her but i will concede that that was a little bit of growth a tiny a, bit just a, a little bit as a treat <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah my last note for the chapter is just like uh malta mentions that she was making camomile tea and that is uh, Julia's favorite tea. So I, even though there's like it's just an offhanded mention, I know that Julia will get a kick out of that. That's all. I didn't even know that was real. Sometimes I, if I don't know what something is in these books, I just assume that it's made up. Mm -hmm. Which like I, I feel like I did the opposite. Where like with the Haragars, I'm like I don't know this. I guess it must be a thing. <laughs> Um, I my last note is when Kefria and Ronica are talking about David or 
I don't know what his name is. I give up. But she's like, is it true about his son? And she's about to like ask a question. And then she gets interrupted by something. And I don't remember if like we ever get an answer to what she was going to ask. Or if we find out what she was going to ask. Do you guys remember? No. No. I think it just gets cut off. My, like, speculation slash guesses maybe from, like, the context, maybe Devad's son was born, like, touched by the Rainwilds in some way. Yeah, oh, that's that what I was sense. thinking. Mm -hmm. I should give, like, additional context to why he's, like, Rainwild sucks. Mm -hmm. My last note is... So, okay, there is one point where I did have to roll my eyes at Malta and she was getting a little bit annoying, is when she sees the box and it's addressed to her from the Cooperses. The Cooper's crest is on the box. She knows what she did at the meeting. She talked to someone in front of the Cooper's, like, coach. Um, yeah. And she like goes through this ridiculous train of thought and is like it must be Sirwin. Sirwin had to have sent this to me. I'm like, "You are so dumb, you stupid little girl." Yeah, that was stupid. But it did remind me of like the way you think about stuff when you're a teenager where like someone will do the most minute thing and you're like, "What if they meant this, which meant this, which meant this, which means they like me?" Yes. <laughs> That's exactly she could or they hate me. Wow. Or they yeah. hate me. Yeah. Just convoluted logic that makes zero sense. Yeah. It was very wild. Yeah. Okay. With that, let's move to chapter twenty-seven. Uh prisoners. Uh so the prisoners in question. Uh, this is another two-part chapter. The first is Wintrow being like, wow, guess I'm stuck being a slave, and if no one comes to get me in two days, I will be branded and sold as a slave of the satrap. Huh. Um, and then uh, the other half is, this is the first time we've seen Kenneth since his leg uh, got cut off. Um, he's been in a fevered daze, and it turns out um, while he was out, Etta interrogated um, the members, uh, or like the, the, I guess, leadership of the slave ship they captured, um, killing two of them and blinding one of the others, um, and discovering that the truth about, Vi or like the idea of Vivatia being a slave ship, which of course Kenneth doesn't believe because he's fucking stupid. But um no, he's actually smart because he knows about live ships and he's like, that's ridiculous. That's fair, like, but I, I mean like he would ever become a slaver. Mm -hmm. But stupid in the sense of like he's also like he like I think I remember him being like a foolish woman to just believe what they were telling you. Like they're obviously yeah. lying. That they, was stupid. Yeah. But yeah. Those are, like, the two parts of this chapter. <coughs> the fact that Wintro would possibly rather be a slave forever than, like, just be like, my dad's in the harbor. 
him come get me is like very telling to how miserable he was on Vivacia. He's like, let's make a pros and cons list before before taking this decision. But also, he's so, like, this part, I felt really frustrated with him because he's being so short-sighted. Like, he could go back to Vivacia and wait until he's, like, an, a, considered an adult and then be like, I'm an adult now. I'm not doing this. Or even wait until, like, hold out for a couple years. Maybe Kyle will die. Selden will be old enough. Selden can teach Selden how to be on the ship and then go be back to be a priest. Whereas, like, if you're a slave, you're a slave forever. And he's like, hmm, would I rather go back to the boat for a couple years tops or be a slave forever? I don't know. <laughs> he, he, like, he straight up doesn't get, I think I, he still doesn't realize that he's, like, a slave despite everything. Because, right. like, he even thinks about the slaves, like, separate from himself. He's like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I kind of get how why people think they aren't human. Or, like, that they put themselves in this situation. I'm like, is there no one, is there no character in this series who has, like, a reasonable take on human rights and slavery? Like, not a single <laughs> one. Jesus. It seems like only Amber. Mm-hmm. Pretty and much. she's not even a traitor or, like, related to the traitor families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Winter was not on his A-game this chapter. Uh, it was annoying. But he realizes it, like, at the end. He has another part where he's like, I could have just waited a couple years and then tell my father that I could leave and I would have had Vivacia at least as a companion and instead now I'm going to be a slave forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he realizes it after he's been tattooed. Right, when it's way too late. <laughs> Oh yeah, this is the chapter where Torg comes through and is like, huh, so you're telling me that if no one comes to see him by tomorrow, he'll be sold as a slave to the Sathrop. Okay, okay, interesting. The... Not sure what I'm going to do with this information. Yeah. Anyways, bye. Yeah. He's the fucking worst. I hate Torg, and I am so excited for him to die. Me too. Does it happen? Um, I don't remember when it happens, but I do remember it being satisfying. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he dies at like the big fight at the end of this, or like the big like cannon takes over the ship at the end of the book. Yeah, I think so too. I sure fucking hope so. I'm ready. <laughs> There's a part that um links dragons and serpents. Um. <clears throat> It is Winter's having a dream, and it says uh, that his dreams are like populated with dragons and serpents that argued and pleaded with human tongues. And I was like, that's like the first overt time that they are connected in any way, those two. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that well, it happens in Wintro's dream when Wintro is like supposed to be the catalyst. Yeah. We, they actually get connected one other time, and it's oh. it's at the very start when Winter is doing stained glass because he talks about having the dragon oh, and serpent oh, and a serpent in the glass. You're right. You're right. And it's Winter doing it then too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely missed this time. <laughs> I got it too. I was like, I always home in on all of the stuff that has to do with dragons and like connecting them with the serpents. I eat that shit up. Mm. God, like it's one of those things where like you can pass it off if as like okay, yeah, Vivacio was talking about serpents. Maybe he's dreaming that way, but like. It's it's like so pointed. Like, where do the dragons come from? Like, oh, that's so cool. Um, yeah, that was my, all, all of my notes for like the first half of it. Do we want to go to the canon part? Yeah, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So the canon part starts with like Kenneth waking up and still being like, "Why did they let?" Why did they take my leg? Can it like Sorkor and Edda must be working together to take the ship? Like he's like so fucking gone. He's like so paranoid and gone and just not thinking rationally. I'm sure he also has a fever from his I mean, he's got an infection for sure. So he's probably got a fever from that and it's making him even more paranoid and delusional than he actually like already was. Um the detail when he like sees his leg and he says that part of it looked cooked literally oh it's so gross Mm -hmm. like robin hobb is really good at like visceral details that give me the ick i wonder how she did it like do you think she's seen horrific things like this or do you think she's just very good at imagining stuff I don't know. I mean, like, I've definitely looked stuff up being a writer, trying to figure stuff out, but, like, I can't imagine looking up, like, burned leg (laughs) or something. Yeah. You know? I feel like it might just be, like, a leg injury, which she just added, like, embellishment details to. Yeah. Where it's, like, she's seen someone's leg crushed by a tree or something. And she just, like, extrapolated from there. Because I can think that, I can think of, like, stuff that could happen. Or, like, some sort of, like, motor accident or something. Where, like, someone's leg gets hurt. Yeah. It gets ripped from their body. Mm -hmm. The only notes I have for this section is just about how much Kenneth knows about live ships and traitors and stuff. And the fact that he knows that Haven isn't a traitor name. Like, it's such a big clue that he's in on it. Because how else would he know? Like, nobody of the pirates for sure knows that Haven's not a traitor name. I'm sure, like, it is only people who live or work very closely in Bingtown, who would know something like that. I picked up on that, too, because he doesn't even think about it for a second. He's just right away like, Haven's not a traitor name. Yeah, he's like, they lied to you. Yeah. It's and I definitely, big... the first time I definitely, like, missed it because I was too busy being pissed about him, like, like, being like, they, they lied, they lied to you. You're so dumb. And I was just like, shut the fuck up, Kenneth. But, like, he's and right. Is- Edda's smarter than Kenna is. And he's For sure. constantly, like, 
Putting... He literally says, like, a woman of many talents and intelligent too. He'd probably have to kill her soon. <laughs> he thought, like, something similar about Sorkor when he, like, is thinking out loud and he's like, oh yeah, Sorkor is, like, getting too smart. I'll have to kill him soon. Or, like, he was thinking, he's like, oh, like, it'd be such a waste to kill him now that he's, like, so loyal to me, but I might have to. It mm. makes me wonder how many people he's killed before just because he, like... But the thing is, he doesn't like violence and all of that stuff, so I wonder if he just thinks all those things because he thinks that's, like, what a pirate should do and, like, because he's paranoid, or if he's actually killed people and just used, like, poison or something. Even though I feel like he would think, like regular poison unless it's like a poisoned blade would just be too like you know how people think that like poison is a woman's killing thing it, like he would probably have that view on it mm -hmm. like that's a good point because he doesn't like messy stuff and like murder's messy mm -hmm. or violence hire someone to do it but like Right. I think his his brand of murder is just push them overboard. Right. Yeah. Like like like, like who who's the person he murders in the next book? Because like he they're like rowing back for he like he stows Kyle away on his secret island, and he's rowing back with someone and he kills. Doesn't them. he like drown them? He like holds them under with his stump yeah. leg or something. Yeah, I don't even remember who it is. I don't either. <laughs> I don't even remember that happening. I forgot it happened, but you mentioning it that. brings like a vague memory back. Mm -hmm. <coughs> it's really funny because I remember in the moment thinking it was a character that was going to be slightly more important and being shocked that they died. And now I cannot even remember their name. <laughs> um. Oh, yeah, I like that the charm bites Kenneth. He deserves it. It's yeah. just, like, such a funny image of him being like, shit, not, not, not my charm. And it's just, like, <laughs> nibbling at him, like, let me speak. Um, Picture it as having, like, sharp, pointy teeth. Not, absolutely. like, regular people teeth. Yeah, like little shark teeth. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Dragon teeth. Oh, and while we're talking about Etta being smart, um, I noted, like, at the very end of the chapter, um, when Kenneth, like, starts getting really feverish and tired, um, like, Sorkor and people are, like, at the door, and she's, like, hops under the covers before they come in. And at first you think it's just, like, a modesty thing or whatever, but the, it, there's, like, a specific thing where she, like, she, like, tries to, like, drape the the blanket in a certain way. And one of the last lines we hear like Sorkor saying, it's like, wow, that's her Captain Kenneth. He's going at her already, like lots of energy. And she's doing it to like, and then you realize she's doing it to like maintain his image and like prevent them from seeing that he's weak. Mm -hmm. Like he would like, there's, there's so much about like his image that he would lose if he wasn't lucky to have these people in his life around him. Yeah. Who just like set him up for success. Definitely. Yeah. And my last note was just last time, um, there's a scene with the charm reciting a poem to Edda. And Leah, you had the question of like, how the fuck does it know this poem if it's a dragon? Mm -hmm. And we, we like speculated that it, it has Kenneth's memories. 
and this time he like he mentioned the the like the musicians outside are playing the poem that he that the charm like sang to her and Kenneth's like yeah it's, it's that poem do you know it Edda and Edda's obviously like okay yeah you've you said this before so like she just thinks that he's like fucking feverish but he actually it wasn't actually him it was a charm mm-hmm. and it like confirms that like the charm must know it because he knows it right yeah I like that Yeah, with that, can we move into the final chapter for this section? Yes. Okay, final chapter for this section, vicissitudes. I'm not gonna lie, I don't actually know the definition of that word. Me neither, and I didn't even bother to look it up. (laughs) Me neither. (laughs) Oh, okay. I came in here with the assumption that one of y'all would know it, so. Okay, let's Google define it. I glazed over it. Our it's collective brain cell has failed us. Or fortune, typically one that is unwelcome or unpleasant. Okay. Okay, well, that tracks. Mm-hmm. And we definitely have that happening in this section. Yeah. This. Oops, sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to say, like, because I had a note about how Brashen and Aldea's fortunes have, like, flipped since we last saw them, and it's just mm-hmm. kind of like. By chance. Um, Vivacia's like monologue that she says to uh, Gantry about like losing herself, um, and she says that she feels like she's someone else or something else, and the serpents make it worse. It makes me wonder if, like, the reason that they always need to have a family member on board is because that helps them stay in touch with, like, their human self identity. Yeah, or, like, their ship version of themselves. Because if that family member's not there to, like, override other personalities, then, like, their true dragon personality way out yeah yeah that definitely makes a lot of sense and it makes sense why like they would have family members on there but like they obviously like the people don't know and the live ships obviously don't understand but like they probably are just like no it's scary to not have a family member on like we need it yeah. So they've never tested it, or when they've tested it, it's been on Paragon, and they're just like, oh, well, he didn't have a family member on him, so... Mm-hmm. I mean, which, like, speaking of Paragon, the way she talks about, like, dreaming is, like, so similar to... Every time we, we like, have a Paragon mm-hmm. chapter intro, he's like, I can't sleep, but I'm in this endless sea of, like, memories and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he thinks about the serpents a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Everything about her in this section screams Paragon. Like, she would have ended up exactly like him if they hadn't dragged Wintrow back. If Wintrow didn't come back, she would have gone mad. And she says, like, I'm not mad yet or something like that. Like, she she is very esque And then she's, like, rocking back and forth. Like, even though she's not voicing her fears and her emotions like it's clearly coming out 
in her, not like her, kind of like her body language and the body language of the whole ship. She even warns Gantry. She's like, I like you. You should get onto a different ship. I didn't remember that part, and that part killed me. She really did like a, I like you, don't come to school tomorrow type shit. Yeah. Like, oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, she 100% would have rolled over, killed her crew, and just sailed back in to Bingtown. Yeah. Yep. She would. Have I wonder if she would have just sailed in search of Wintro. Like... Or, no, she would have gone for Althea, for sure. Because she knows that Wintro doesn't want to be with her. So she'd be like, let me go to the one Vestrite who really, truly loves me and try and find her. That makes sense. Yeah, I agree. And then once she had Althea, she could find Wintro and help him get back to his, like, monastery or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know, don't get me wrong, I do hate Kyle. And I know everyone's so hard on him, like, he sold his son into slavery, or he made his son a slave. But like Everyone's so hard on him for selling his land to slavery. They just don't give him a break for it. Come on. No, my <laughs> point is that he doesn't really. I really don't think that he knew Wintro was it there. It was Borg for sure. Yeah. And by the time that he gets bought, like, there's no... Borg says give him the ship tattoo, and maybe Kyle told him to do that. But it kind of seems like Kyle's just like, go buy him back. And then Torg picks him up, and Torg's like, how else can I be a shit to him? It could have all been Torg, and Kyle kind of takes the rap for it. But I think it was Torg. We'll no, see I- this next episode. I think that there's some confirmation that Kyle asked Torg to, like, uh, give Wintrow that tattoo. Okay. Which, like... If that's the case, then, like... Yeah, like, sure. But... Like, I don't know. I feel like the way people act about it is like he personally sold Wintro into slavery when really, like, he didn't know. And then he picks him up and he buys him back. But he's already a slave at that point. You know? There. Yeah. I, I mean, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle's also a dick when he's like, I'll, I'll give you five shards for him. Yeah, yes. that was a shitty thing. He's still a piece of shit. I'm not I'm saying anything other than that, but I just don't think that he truly, like, sold his son into slavery. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, I, I agree with that. I think that we, we should hate Torg more. Yes. I forgot that Torg existed before we started this free read, mm. and now I'm like, I'm never going to forget this motherfucker. No, same, I hate my hatred goes Torg, Kenneth, Kyle. Interesting. Um, Torg is the top of my list, but I don't know. I think Kenneth and Kyle have to be even. They oscillate for me, so it's hard to choose. In the moment right now, it's Kenneth, Kyle for you. <laughs> yeah, right. Today it yeah. is. A different day. Depending on which way the winds blow, who knows? Like, Kenneth's more interesting to read, but I think he does worse things than Kyle does. Yeah. But then there's the question of, like, Kenneth does worse things, but he also has, like, 
You also get better reasoning for better, like better outcome things. Because he's forged, you can kind of understand it. While Kyle mm-hmm. is just, there's no tragic backstory for Kyle. There's no, he's just he's Kyle, everything he does. He he makes his own bed in everything he does. Kyle's like deluded. Like Kyle thinks that he's a good person, and is mm-hmm. like doing good for his family. Whereas Kenneth has no illusions about the way he is. Mm-hmm. I just realized something you guys about malta what Um, so you know at the end of the dream box dream the like guy that she kisses i don't like where this is going (laughs) a blonde chalestinian looking guy which is like her dad Ew. I know, I know, I know, but I just realized as we were talking about Kyle so much because I'm like, oh, this is probably his best. What? It makes sense because she has her dad on such a pedestal that, of course, she thinks that, like, somebody like her dad would be the perfect. Mm-hmm. Like, ew. I just realized that. Isn't that so yucky? Very Freudian. Oh. Yeah. You're welcome, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Yuck. Yuck. And when does Malta lose? Because I know that in Rainwilds, by, by the time, Rain, like, I feel like by the time we find out that Kyle is dead, she does not give a shit about him anymore. I don't even remember how that shift happens. Is it just like, so, so much stuff happens in the middle that she just doesn't get a chance to think about her dad? Well, I think even throughout her being, like, with the Satrap and stuff, she's always thinking, like, oh, my dad will come and get me. He'll, he'll find me, like, he'll get people looking for me and then like eventually she realizes that he's not out there looking for her and out there helping her or like trying to get her back and that's when like it slowly happens but i feel like she still thought of him as the highest in like the highest part during that time she ends up on a ship full of chalcidians or chalcidians oh yeah and they're all awful and like think of women in this horrible way and she has to like constantly tell them that she's on her period so she doesn't get raped every day and Mm -hmm. i think that like kind of shifts her perspective on that group of people because she's like this is the view of women that my dad has yeah you know definitely oh wait i think by that point she actually thinks her dad is dead because they they get news and they get news in bingtown before they even go to the Rainwilds, they get news in Bingtown that Kenneth is captured by Vaisha, right? I don't know. I don't think they hear about it for a really long time. Okay. And when they do, I don't think they assume that he's dead. I feel like they okay. don't really find out until like the end of the whole series. Okay. But I could be wrong. I haven't read this book in two years, so... Same, same. Except not two years. It's like less than a year. But with accounting for my memory, it's about the same. My first only read was probably six years ago. So I'm over here like (laughs) reading everything fresh. I'm like, oh, this is such an interesting book. So good. (laughs) My last note for this chapter is just in a 
episode with so much sad stuff, the line that most got to me was Brashen being like, she knew him so well, she had wanted nothing further to do with him. Thinking about Althea. I'm just like, yes, that freaking sad. That's a very fit thing to think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. But it, it must suck because, like, Brashen, it feels like we get, it's so weird because we were told that Brashen had, like, a bad life before or, like, had been in his worst place, in the worst place. And we see him start at the top of his, like, redemption and then just fall back into everything, into, like, self-loathing, into having no friends. And it's just like, man. I just, it's just the worst. I hate it. Yeah. It's very sad. Wait, no, isn't that why they send Paragon? Like, isn't, wait, I'm just thinking back. Like, isn't the whole reason they, like, refit Paragon is to set out to find Vivacia? Yeah. Because they, they get, I think that, I think they get news of it, or of the capture, like, a quarter way through Mad Ship, and that's what starts them. Like, but, um, Brashen sees a painting of Vivacia or that, like, used to be in Althea's stateroom or something at a pirate market. Mm-hmm. So that's how he figures it out. I remember that much. But I'm pretty sure they, like, they're like, well, we'll never catch her with anything other than another live ship, so. Mm-hmm. Why not the mad one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I think that, like, Malta just doesn't believe, believe it at that point. Yeah. She's just like, you, Althea's horrible. She's saying that my dad's dead because she wants, like, she, I think she thinks something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's right. Oh yeah, that also reminds me. There's a scene with where Malta flirts with Brashen. Dude, oh yeah. And, yeah. Brashen, and Brashen the whole time is like, this is gross. Hmm? Yeah, but Brashen doesn't like get it at first, and then he's like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Brashen has like the only it's like the only time that an adult man reasonably responds to Malta in this whole book. Like, yes. Brashen reacts the way an adult man should react. Mm-hmm. Whereas even her own father's like, look at her f- figure. So fucking There's gross. like a line in this chapter where she's thinking about like, yeah, dad said I have like a woman's body. Why shouldn't I have mm-hmm. like, and it's like. <sighs> it's so gross. Your dad should not be thinking about or looking at your woman's body. Right. Yuck. Yeah, is that it? Yes, yeah. for me. Cool. I, I, I like ending on the note of lots of awful stuff already and lots of awful stuff to come. Yeah. Yep. We're least... getting close to the finish line. Like, yeah, we really wild. I, like that I think that, life. yeah, we, I think we have two more episodes if I remember right. So, yeah, that sounds right. We have, I think there are 36 chapters plus probably an epilogue. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Exciting. Yeah, 36 chapters. I don't think... I don't there's... remember what happens in between. There's no epilogue, but the 36th chapter is literally, like, two pages. Ah, okay. Oh, dang. It's a story so... chapter. Mm-hmm. So we'll only have... Should we just try and cram it into one? 29 to 36. That's kind of a lot, right? Should we divide it and do like 29 to We can do four and 32? four. So next. Yeah, let's do four and four. Okay. Okay. See ya. Um, next time we'll be back with chapters 29 through 32. Um of Ship of Magic. I honestly do not remember anything that happens in the next section. Because in my memory, it's Wintrow gets tattooed as a slave, the next chapter, Kenneth attacks. And it's just like... Yeah. So... Well, it can't be too far between, because Wintrow has a hand in nursing him back to health. For sure. Yeah. And they, like, do a second amputation. <laughs> or, like... A thorough, yep. actual amputation, not just a... Put off the cooked bits of his leg. Yeah, yuck. Mm. But yeah, okay. Until next time, see y'all. Bye! Bye.